0: And tonight we are beginning a verse-by-verse study of the book of Galatians. And I've heard from several other people in the last week, week and a half or so, that when Michael Catt came, like first like book that he worked through was the book of Galatians. And somebody's asked me, like, did you guys coordinate that? And I'm like, no, we did not. But it sounds like we both had a really good quiet time when we started right there. So one of the joys that I have as a pastor... Is teaching and preaching the Word of God every single week and I've gotten an opportunity over the last 22 and a half 23 years of pastoral ministry to be able to preach and teach in a lot of different formats from college campuses to services revival services mission trips small groups um, different events that are around the community there's just a wonderful opportunity to teach and to proclaim God's Word But of all of the ways that I get a chance to teach, there is one particular format that is my favorite, and that is verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word, and that's one that you can really only do at your home church. Because otherwise, if you try to pick up maybe in chapter 3, verse 7, if you're preaching on the road, they don't have the context for everything else that you've already covered so far. So I'm excited that I get a chance to start tonight with the book of Galatians. Now, I was challenged early in ministry, and I do mean early in ministry, to build the Word of God into the people you serve. And I believe there's no greater way to do it than to pick a book of the Bible... Start chapter 1, verse 1, and you begin to work your way through pulling out of the text what God put in and asking God to help you apply it the way that he intended. So as you saw on the video bumper just a few moments ago, the book of Galatians is a book that is about freedom. It's freedom from every aspect. The key verse, and you want to go ahead and write this down, the key verse... For this entire book is found in chapter 5, verse 1. It says this. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. This is a book about freedom. In fact, it either addresses attacks against freedom or how the gospel brings freedom, or warnings about losing freedom, or encouragement to embrace freedom. It is a book that teaches freedom. When I say it's a book that teaches freedom, I also think it's important that we remember freedom means different things to different people. Let me give you a couple of quotes on this. Uh, Mike Tyson, former heavyweight champion, he said, real freedom is having nothing. I was freer when I didn't have a cent. Now, he was equating freedom in the context of money, or for that matter, the lack of money. Here's another one. Charles Kingsley, a priest of the Church of England back in the early 1800s, said this. There are two freedoms, the false, where a man is free to do what he likes and the true where he is free to do what he ought." That's a great statement. Uh, Kingsley there is connecting freedom to the ability to choose what is right. Ronald Reagan, former president of the United States, he gave probably one of the most memorable quotes about freedom. that has been mentioned many times. It's found in books. It's found online in different quote sections. But here's what he said. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for protected and handed on for them to do the same now that is a statement about freedom in the context of our country the freedoms that we enjoy as a country tertullian gave an awesome statement on freedom he was one of the early church fathers he said you cannot parcel out freedom in pieces because freedom is all or nothing now he's describing the scope of freedom now, while each of the different quotes I just shared gives an aspect of freedom, it's actually Tertullian's quote that most people wrestle with. They, they push back against. It, it bothers people. Now, when I say it bothers people, it's not like you walk into a coffee shop and people are arguing about the merits of Tertullian or something like that. That's, that's not what I mean by pushing against this. But rather, they push back because it bothers people the ideas of absolute freedom. In our society, we are governed by rules and we're conditioned by boundaries and we find safety in structure. So absolute freedom seems scandalous. If somebody says, you're free, well, what do you mean by free? You're free. Well, free within limitations, of course. No, you're, you're free. No, I really can't be free. So listen again to Tertullian's statement. You cannot parcel out freedom in pieces because freedom is all or nothing. In other words, when you say you are free to act within reason or you are free to choose between these options, what Tertullian is saying is that's not really freedom. It is expanded limitations at best. Freedom cannot be parceled out. Freedom is an all or nothing proposition. Now, here's what Jesus said. John chapter 8, verse 36. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. (laughs) How free is free indeed? Did he free you from sin and bondage just to enslave you again to the chains of religion? Did, Did he free you from your past only to say, Now that you're free, you have to do this, 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 and this in order to keep that freedom. How free is free indeed? The book of Galatians, it explores the scope, the expanse, the depth of our freedom that we have in Christ. This is one of those books that the legalist will deny because the legalists are going to look at this and they're going to say, If you tell people they're free, then they are going to act like heathen. They're just going to run out and do whatever they want to do. So the legalist is going to say, you got to take them back to the structure of the law. you got to keep them within the confines. Uh, Oftentimes, when I get a chance to preach in other churches, I try to talk with the pastors and say, are there certain topics you don't want me to stir up? And the reason I say that is because when I preach freedom in Christ... A lot of times, like, everybody who's been recruiting people to serve in their ministries, they're like, you just cut my ministry base in half. When you tell somebody that coming to church is not a requirement as a follower of Christ, people are like, whoa, 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 don't don't say that. No, when you get to know Jesus, they can't keep you out. (laughs) When you get to know Jesus, nobody has to say the law tells you to do this. When you're in this love relationship with him and he is growing and developing you and the intimacy with Christ is expanding and you wake up every morning and you're like, I get a chance to get along with Jesus. I get a chance to learn from him and to know him and to love him and to be known by him. When that happens and somebody says, and we got church happening next week, you're like, sign me up. I'll be there. Why? Because Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But when there's freedom, when there's freedom, you can't put chains back on it. It, It's either all or nothing, as Tertullian said. There's going to be times in our study of Galatians when you will want to push back on the freedom that you find in this book. You're going to want to push back and say, "It, it can't be that good. Oh, it is. Don't don't push back. Let the Spirit of God continue to move in your heart. So here's one of the reasons why, for me, the book of Galatians is one of my favorites. When people ask me, why are you starting with this book? There's two reasons. One, because it champions the freedom that we have in Christ. That is incredible to me. At our church in Las Vegas, we had over 30 denominations that were represented in the room over 30 and we would ask people like if you're a part of another denomination what exactly are you doing at a southern baptist church in las vegas and here's what people would tell us over and over again we're here because you just teach the word that was first part and here's the second part they said when we come in there's a freedom in this room we've never experienced there's a freedom in this room as well When when you look out and you see people praising God, when you see people excited and they're here and they're loving Jesus and loving each other, there is a freedom that is in this place. You can feel it when you're walking in. You can feel it when the worship is moving. Those are the things that you find when people have experienced freedom in Christ. So my first reason in wanting to teach this is because it champions freedom. The second reason I want to start here is because... This is the section, this is the book that so focuses on the gospel that it makes sure you can't run from the message of the gospel. The gospel is not only the good news that saves, the gospel is the good news that sanctifies. As believers, you and I never outgrow the gospel. Sometimes people say something like, When are you going to preach something beyond the gospel? There's nothing beyond the gospel. Every great truth that you find in the word of God is grounded in that gospel message. You cannot preach about forgiveness without talking about the gospel. You cannot preach about the love of God without talking about the gospel. You cannot preach about election or predestination. You cannot preach about heaven and hell, salvation and sainthood. You cannot preach about any of those things and them not have their root meaning in the understanding of the gospel. It's all coming back to the gospel. So... This is a book that says the gospel is so important, and it makes sure people can't run from it. Those are the reasons I'm starting here. By the way, I think my message just got expanded by 10 minutes right now because most of what I'm saying, I did not plan to say as of right now. (laughs) That's the the thing when people are asking me, like, where are you going to end on Sunday morning when you're preaching, like, verse by verse? I'm like, "I, I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll go just as far as about the point people start walking out the door. And then I'll say, we probably need to wrap that up. So anyway, so there's going to be times that people will want to push back against the freedom that you find in this book. There may even be times if you start telling your other Christian friends about what you're learning in the book of Galatians, they might refer to you as a Christian hedonist, as John Piper kind of made that term very popular. That is somebody who is pursuing pieces of pleasure but there's a part of that freedom that you're going to see in this text so in the end if we study what the word is saying if we apply what the word is saying if we are willing to work out the truths that God has already worked in we will experience incredible freedom in Christ so all of that being said I invite you to go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 1 through 5. Today is part 1 of our introduction. And I say part 1, I wish I could say we're going to get through the whole introduction tonight. That's not the case. I don't want to rush it. In fact, whenever you're studying verse by verse through Scripture, if you take your time to develop it right on the front side, it will pay dividends all the way through. Everywhere you go through scripture, you're just going to say, I understand that more now. That makes sense now. This is a theme that we talked about up front. And we have to get that up front, the introduction in right. So that being said, we're going to start Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I'm speaking tonight on the foundation of freedom. This is part 1. So let's begin in verse 1. Paul, an apostle not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forevermore, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get started in this book, God, may the truths of your word come alive in our hearts. God, I pray that we don't walk away from the book of Galatians the same way we walked in. Even for those who have studied it for 20, 30 years, God, may you pull out nuggets of truth. May you stop us in our tracks. May you show us the areas in which we're falling either back into legalism Or we are not enjoying the extent of the freedom that we have in Christ. God, we need your spirit to do that for us. God, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we begin our study with a 30,000-foot view of the book of Galatians. Then we're going to come into verses 1 through 5 as a unit, as a package, and see what is this section talking about. And then we're going to end today by going through and beginning to pull out specific truths that are found in verses 1 through 5. So, the book of Galatians has been referred to as the Magna Carta of spiritual liberty. It's been called the battle cry of the Reformation. It's been called the Christian's Declaration of Independence. Whenever you become overwhelmed, with what people tell you you have to do or have to be. And by the way, I said, when you become overwhelmed, it's not if, it's when you become overwhelmed with what people tell you you have to do or to be to be a good Christian, run to the book of Galatians. Sit in the book of Galatians. Merrill Tenney wrote this about this particular book. He said, and I quote, Christianity might have been just one more Jewish sect, And the thought of the Western world might have been entirely pagan had it never been written. Galatians embodies the germinal teaching on Christian freedom which separated Christianity from Judaism. And which launched it upon a career of missionary conquest. It was the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation. Because its teachings of salvation by grace alone became the dominant theme of the reformers. End of quote. The entire theme of the book of Galatians, and for that matter, the bulk of the New Testament, is that there's true freedom that is only found in Jesus Christ. In Galatians, Paul deals with spiritual freedom from two fronts. In chapters 3 and 4, he talks about freedom through salvation. That is, at salvation, Christ frees a person from bondage to sin and bondage to the law. Then in chapters 5 and 6, he addresses freedom through sanctification. That is, as you follow Jesus, as he frees you up, as you live and as you serve him and as you pursue him and as you get to know him, he grows you in Christlikeness. So that's your 30,000-foot view of the book of Galatians. It's one about freedom. Now I want us to focus on the first five verses as a unit or a block of scripture. These first five verses contain the introduction for the book. Now, in this particular section, it needs to remain together because the teachings set up everything that's going to happen through the rest of the letter itself. It's so important that when we're reading introductions to different books of the Bible, that we just don't skim through it. We don't just quickly go through it and say, I know that, I know the author, I know the place, let's just get on to the other parts of Scripture. It's in this upfront section that it really sets up everything that you're going to be studying and going through within the book. So more than this introduction being something like, you know, Dear Christian, or To Whom It May Concern, this particular introduction, it sets up the author, the audience, the setting, and even the tone in which this particular book is supposed to be read. So in verse 1, the Apostle Paul clearly tells us that he is the author. But he immediately starts to defend his role as an apostle. This is important. This is a part of your introduction. This is a part of why this particular book stands out. So here's what he says. He says, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. When you see extra statements like that, qualifying statements statements that help you understand what just was said a moment ago when you see statements like that it's always there for a reason the author is never trying to fill like a 15,000 word quota or trying to kind of take up some space you know when you're in middle school you're in high school you got a paper to write and you kind of you you write really big words that you don't know what they are and you kind of double space everything and all of a sudden there's extra flowery language and there's more commas than should ever be in a sentence because you're just trying to fill some space That is not what's happening when a Bible writer is setting up a book. So as far as introductions go, this one is dramatically different than any other introduction that the Apostle Paul writes. And it's not different in what he said. It's different in what he did not say. Galatians is the only letter written by the Apostle Paul that has no commendation for its readers. Think about that for a moment. When Paul writes to other churches, he says things like, you complete my joy. Wouldn't it be wonderful to get a letter like that from the Apostle Paul? Or or he'll say things like this, I praise God for you. Or he'll say, I am thankful upon every remembrance of you. And yet when we get to the book of Galatians, we find no commendation for the church. Even when Paul wrote the church in Corinth, and you know the church in Corinth had some issues they were working on. Even when Paul wrote that church, he included these words, I thank my God always concerning you. And yet there is no commendation for the church in Galatia. After a very brief salutation, Paul immediately states the problem that prompted the letter. It's found in verses 6 and 7. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. From that point all the way through the end, chapter 6, verse 18, this letter holds the Galatian believers' feet to the fire. And it doesn't let up on them. He keeps coming after them. So here's my question. Why did, not, why did he not give a commendation to this group? With all of the other stuff, I mean, if you're going to go through and come in and say, I thank my God always for you talking to the the Corinthian church, why not the same thing for the church in Galatia? Here's the answer. As bad as some things might have been at the church in Corinth, the bulk of their problems were about right living, not right doctrine. In the Galatian churches, the very heart of the gospel was being undermined by false teachers the gospel of grace was being trampled and replaced with a a gospel of works and some grace and some right language and some wrong language and as paul clearly states in verses six and seven that's not the gospel at all it is a distortion of the truth of the gospel and that distortion leads to damnation it does not lead to freedom in christ So he comes after him. He dispensed with the pleasantries. He got past the formal language and he goes right after things. And here's the reason. If your house is burning down, you can dispense with the pleasantries. You might not have time to say, hello, is it okay if I come in? How are you doing? Like the house is burning down. You you knock the door down. You run inside. You say, we gotta get out. People's lives are at stake. There's a problem here. That's what's happening in this particular letter. In this situation, the gospel, the essence of the faith is under attack. So now we've seen Galatians kind of from a 30,000-foot view. And we've also seen about this block, verses 1 through 5 as a unit. So now I want us to go beyond that. I want us to dig into some of the specifics that we find in verses 1 through 5. So we're going to be asking one major question for the rest of our time this evening. And then we're going to pick up on this same exact question this next week. So here's the question. What is the context of Galatians? What's the context? The context of any book is going to give you the author, the audience, the setting, many times the purpose, the genre, all of these different pieces. Now the reason that is always so important is because if you don't know what the original writer was saying to the original audience for the original purpose in the original setting with that original genre of writing in mind, if you don't know that, you cannot cross what's referred to as the interpretational bridge and now understand what that text is saying to you and how you're to apply it in your life today. You have to know what it's saying back then, and then you bring it into, now that I know that, I understand better how this is to be applied in my life right now. So context is crucial. Here's the first part of that. The author is the Apostle Paul, verse number one. We've already stated that, but let's give a little bit more information to pull this out. Knowing a bit about the author gives perspective as to how they write and why they write, and for that matter, their credentials and writing at all. Now, if I were to share a quote with you from Drew Jackson on Taoism, you might be thinking, that's interesting. Maybe it's a little bit strange, like, we're, we're Christians. Why are you sharing a quote on Taoism here? If you didn't know anything about the name, and there's a really good chance that the majority, if not everyone in this room, would not recognize that particular name, Drew Jackson, even if that were the case, If I were then to tell you Drew Jackson is the second foremost authority in the Western Hemisphere on the subject of Taoism, even if you don't care about the quote, at least there's now some credentials that would make you think, I need to at least listen. Maybe what they're saying has some type of value behind it. There's something about knowing who's writing that adds credibility to the topic. Now, knowing that the Apostle Paul is the author, that's one thing. But knowing something about Paul, as to why he is so unbelievably qualified to write this particular letter, that's a whole different story. So here's your backstory on the Apostle Paul. For some of you, you've you've known this for a long time. Others, this might be the first time you've heard it. So Paul was a native of Tarsus, a city that was not too far away from the region of Galatia. He was raised in a strict Jewish family, one that was steeped in legalism and Jewish traditions. According to Acts chapter 22, verse 3, he was well-educated and he was carefully trained in Jewish law. Based on Philippians 3, the text that we're studying on Sunday mornings, he described himself as circumcised of the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. And then in Galatians 1, he tells us before his conversation is really beginning that he was advancing, this is found in verse 14, he was advancing in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries being more extremely zealous for their ancestral traditions. Now, based on that information alone, based on what you find in Philippians 3, based on what you find in Galatians 1, it helps us understand why he is uniquely qualified to teach this particular subject. That is, when he talks about the law, he's talking about somebody who not only knows it, he lived it. When he begins to talk about the difference between the gospel of grace and the gospel of works, He is uniquely qualified to teach us that because this is a man who was born under works and yet he was called into grace. He's lived both parts. He's seen each aspect. If there's ever someone who is prepared to tackle the topic of freedom in Christ, it's going to be the Apostle Paul. So in this first five verses, he summarizes his authority, giving him the right to speak his message containing the truths that he's going to share, and his motive providing the reason that he's sharing any of this at all. Now, Paul's authority to speak is based on his role as an apostle. This word apostle, it means one who is sent with a commission or an envoy or an ambassador or a messenger. Now, based on Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, there were two prerequisites for being an apostle. It wasn't just a title that was given out willy-nilly. Kind of like, you're an apostle, I like you, you've been around for a while, I'll make you an apostle, and you're an apostle. Like That's not how this was going down. There were two prerequisites for being an apostle. That is, you must have been an eyewitness to the ministry of Christ. And second, you must have been chosen by the risen Christ for that office. So the word apostle had a primary and then it had a wider meaning. The term was used primarily for the original 12. That was the original group that had been chosen by Jesus to lay the foundation for the early church, as well as to be used by God for the completed revelation of Christ. That is, the Spirit of God speaking through these human writers as they're writing what is now found as books in your New Testament. They were used by God uniquely in that way. They were also a group that had been given power to perform healings and to cast out demons as a way to validate who they were as messengers. Now, why was that so important? If I were to come up to you and I were to say, the Messiah is in town. You need to come check him out. He's got a message that can set you free. I would hope that you would want to hold me at arm's distance because you're like, I don't know you. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know anything about... I'm I'm not going to be following you somewhere. Okay, how do we know if someone is speaking the truth or not? We go back to the Word of God. So what happened to that early church when they didn't have the Word of God, the, the new revelation, the New Testament to go back to? How did they know that that person was sent by God? How did they know that person was speaking truth? It was a part of what was this special office. and That is, God gave them the ability, the power to do healings, to cast out demons as a way to validate the message and the messenger. So if I were to say, the Messiah is in town, and you're like, I don't believe you. And then somebody has been blind at birth, and I was like, have your sight restored. And they can see you like, all right, let's, let's talk.
1: <laughs> All right, there
0: might be something to this. So that is this extremely unique office. So that word apostle primarily referred to the 12. They, they had this special gift, this special opportunity that had been given them by Christ. But in a wider sense, the term apostle was used of men like Barnabas over in Acts 14, Silas and Timothy First Thessalonians chapter 1, as well as other outstanding leaders in Romans chapter 16. Now, these men were called messengers, or listen, apostoloi, okay? Apostle, apostoloi of the churches, 2 Corinthians 8. Whereas the 12 were referred to as messengers or apostles of Jesus Christ. There is a primary, and then there's a wider group. Neither group was perpetuated beyond their death except for Judas. Now this is extremely important because this goes right back into why he's having to defend his apostolic credentials. If you'll remember, when Judas betrayed Christ, and they go from 12 disciples, 12 apostles, now, now down to 11, the question became whether or not Matthias was man's choice or God's choice. And the question Went further whenever the Apostle Paul is stopped by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus himself picks, selects him. And you begin to follow what's happening in the book of Acts. whole first part of this, you find that Peter, the Apostle Peter, is the one who is leading the missionary ventures. He's moving the people of God forward. He's helping start churches. And then all of a sudden, the entire narrative picks up with the Apostle Paul. And it finishes with him. The question became... Who was the choice? The weight of evidence is behind the Apostle Paul. So apart from that one exception, none are perpetuated beyond their death. Look at what it says. Let's keep reading verse number 1. It says, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. One way to deny the truthfulness of a message is to deny the authority of the one who just gave it to you. That same tactic is still being used to this very day. Discredit the person, and you can discredit the message. So the Galatian church had received the true gospel of grace from the Apostle Paul on a previous missionary journey. Now, after the Apostle Paul left, there were false teachers who infiltrated the church in order to introduce another gospel. Now, let's pause here for just a moment. Satan is an opportunist. Satan is always looking for ways to divide and to disrupt and to destroy. Always. And one of the greatest times of attack is through major transitions of God's people. In what is perceived to be a vacuum of leadership, watch how quickly the enemy starts to sow in false teaching false ideas, false doctrine into the body of Christ. Why? Because there's something about stable leadership in place that when that stable leadership sees it, they call it out and they stop it in its tracks. But sometimes the same teachings that maybe were rejected at one point, when that leader is gone, all of a sudden people are thinking, oh, I can slip this one right back in. I'm going to share with you all in just a moment how that exact thing was happening to us in Las Vegas. So these false teachers, they not only attack the validity of Paul's message, they also attack Paul as a messenger. They convinced some of the believers in Galatia that Paul was a self-appointed apostle. He had no divine commission that was given him by Christ. So that's why the apostle Paul immediately begins to defend his position as an apostle now a few moments ago i was walking you through and i shared that chapters 3 and 4 they describe freedom through salvation And chapters 5 and 6 they describe freedom through sanctification did anybody wonder why i didn't start with chapters 1 and 2 every ocd person in this room was like i, I need to figure this out before tonight I got it bad. Like, it's hard for me. I wanted to stop and say, I'm going to come back to this in just a moment right here. Because I don't like to have my blanks not filled out. But the reason it didn't start in chapters 1 and 2 is because he couldn't even get into the crux of his argument for the first two chapters. Because two chapters he had to defend his position as an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's not even until chapter 3 that he says, now that we have that out the way... Now let me address what it is that I want to address with you. False teachers accused him of being a self-appointed apostle. So Paul's defense, he goes through and he shares why it is that he is called and how he was chosen. And this is wonderful. He says, his calling as an apostle was not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. This is good. If your position was conferred by men, it can be taken away by men. And Paul makes it clear. He's like, I'm not here because anybody called me. And that is, you cannot revoke what you did not confer. He says, I'm an apostle appointed by Christ. You might not like it, but I'm appointed by Christ. You might not believe me. That's on you. I was appointed by Christ. So he is an apostle by Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Let's finish up with a couple more things, and we'll close tonight. So Galatians was written around A.D. 49. This is, again, it's a part of the context. Now, it's believed that he wrote this letter from the city of Antioch around A.D. 49. 49. Now, Antioch was kind of his home base for mission endeavors, and some scholars try to date this letter all the way into A.D. 57, but there's a reason why that has been rejected by most, and the reason for that is a major part of the book of Galatians addresses the relationship between Gentile and Jewish Christians about the law. Now, the reason that's important is because that conflict was officially resolved at the Council of Jerusalem in A.D. 50. It would seem strange to dedicate that much time to a subject that had already been put to to rest before this. So, here's the next part. The audience was the churches of Galatia. On their first missionary journey, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas established four churches in the region of Galatia. The cities were Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, based on Acts chapter 13. The book of Galatians does not identify the specific local churches, but according to chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, they were churches that the apostle Paul personally ministered in. So if that's the case, and we know he had been in these churches on those missionary journeys, it only stands to reason it was written to the churches primarily in the southern part of the region of Galatia. Now, it's also helpful for us to think about the fact that when the apostle Paul was in Galatia, They tried to kill him. Why is that important? Because you're learning a lot about the heart of this man and his concern for their spiritual welfare. It's one thing if the people lovingly embraced you and then you come back and you say, hey, there's something that's happening around you. I just want to share with you. I'm concerned about this but when they tried to kill you last time you were there, that's where I know I've not been saved long enough. I'm like, you guys figure that out yourselves. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. It's just like there's a part of my flesh where I'm like, man, how awesome that he had that much love that he is going to go out of his way to come back to the same group of churches in order to warn them about what is going on. Here's the next one, and we close out. The purpose was to confront Judaizers, restate the essence of the gospel, and challenge Christians to embrace their freedom in Christ. That's the purpose. Now, we're just starting this. We're going to pick up in the same section next week. But I want you to notice how he constructed his greeting. In Greek, the common greeting of Paul's day was kara, C-H-A-R-A, meaning joy. The Hebrew greeting of the day was shalom, or peace. Paul keeps the Hebrew greeting while altering the traditional Greek from kara to charis, being grace. Why is that significant? It's because he's in addressing a church in which grace has been questioned, if not completely thrown out. To choose the law as the Galatians were doing is to fall from Grace. To live by works will cause you to lose the peace of God, the shalom of God that comes to those who are walking in grace. So, in this, you find that he is addressing, even in his upfront greeting, he's bringing out a word like, I'm gonna get to you from the very beginning, I'm gonna come at you with grace. I want you to hear from the beginning. It's shalom, it's peace, it's grace. It's peace, it's grace. Now, I said a moment ago that the purpose was to confront the Judaizers. Here's a basic idea the Judaizers were an extremist Jewish faction that settled into the early church. They taught that Gentile followers of Christ had to either become Jewish to follow Jesus or they had to follow the law or they had to follow the customs in addition to faith in Jesus Christ. That was the basic teaching. So that brings up major theological questions. Is is a person saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? Are they saved through faith in Jesus Christ plus the law? Are, Are they saved because they are pursuing Jesus and they've placed faith in what he's done for them or because they're following the traditions of Judaism? The wrong answers here can derail a person's walk with God. Now, if you think that is a problem only in first century Jewish life, that would be incorrect. That same exact mindset has now regrouped, reformed, and is infiltrating churches across the country to this day. Next week, I'm going to tell you what the group is. But let me tell you, in 18 years in Las Vegas, multiple times, we had to stop people from that exact group who they tried to infiltrate the church through our small groups ministry. You know why they started there? Because if they can get a small group all to themselves, it's easier to spread lies. But here's the thing. They got stopped dead in their tracks in the small groups before it even came back to me. And I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, I was so excited about that. Do you know why it got stopped dead in its tracks? Three reasons. When you know the gospel, you can immediately spot the counterfeits. Second, when scripture tells believers to stay alert to the schemes of the devil, the church is to stay alert. You can't coast for a day. And third, when you've tasted freedom in Christ, you cannot go back to the chains of religion. So each time these groups would try to come into our small groups, people would say, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And they would stop them right there. Next week, we're going to pick up in this same place, and I'm going to share with you the name of that particular group. I want you to know it. I want you to recognize their schemes because they're still trying to infiltrate churches to this very day. We're going to end with a word of prayer. As we end in prayer tonight, I'm going to ask you if you would, join me in prayer on a couple of key pieces. First, join me in prayer that through the series about relationship that we're going through on Sunday morning, that God would use it to spark passion, excitement in the hearts of believers. That God would use it to stir something maybe that's been lost somewhere along the way. The second thing is I'm praying that through this series that we're going to be doing on Sunday nights through the book of Galatians, that God uses this as a way to unite our hearts together as a church for the future that he's calling us to. God has an incredible future for this church. I believe that with all of my heart. But a part of that is working out of the overflow of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Another part of that is knowing the gospel inside and out. Another part of that is experiencing the freedom that we have in Christ. If you're not enjoying your walk with God, you will never have a neighbor or co-worker say, can you tell me about your faith? But if every time they run into you, you're excited, God's working, he's answering prayers. If every time they, they run into you, you're telling them, this is what God did. All of a sudden, people who don't know him, they start to say, what did they have that I don't have? And if you're an evangelist, and somebody says, can you tell me about your faith in Christ? That's like saying, sick them to a bulldog. You better believe it, I can. But when that moment comes, you have to know the gospel. You have to be able to tell them what Jesus has done. That's why we're starting here. So we're going to have a word of prayer, and then we're going to finish in a song of worship. But in this time, join me in praying that God uses these series to unite us together for the mission that he's called us to. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We're grateful, God, for the freedom that we have in Christ. We're grateful for the fact that you say, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Not partially free, not a little bit free, free indeed. God, I pray today that you would use these series, the series on relationship in the morning, the series in the book of Galatians at night to be two pieces that we look back on 20 years from now and we say, God did something special during this time, that he united us together as a church family. He put us on the same page, on a strong foundation. And it was from this that he began to stir our hearts for what's happening in the future. God, may we look back and stand amazed at what you've done. We recognize that apart from you, we can do nothing. So God, thank you for the freedom, the salvation, the joy that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?